Um, they're, they're aliens in the sense that they're not indigenous to this earth, to this dimension. So in that part, I'll agree, they're aliens. But they are not some kind of entity out there that is in need of the gospel, or there's a creation that, uh, um, oh, you know, God missed them. Well, here they are. Now we can share the gospel with them. No. No. They're either part of the kingdom of heaven or they're part of the kingdom of rebellion. And they know it. So how do we tell who's who and what's what? Paul made that real easy for us. He says, but though we are an angel, come preaching any other gospel than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. Accursed in the Greek means let him be damned. That's pretty heavy-duty stuff. Don't even give them the time of day. Don't consider them at all. So after 20 years of doing this, living in Roswell for four years, traveling all over the country to every, you know, different kinds of UFO shows, new age groups, um, sometimes speaking, sometimes investigating, sometimes setting up a vendor booth. And the one thing I love about the UFO community, until they, now they know who we are and they try to keep us out, but uh, they would just let anybody come in. So I'd come in and basically tell them that everything they were saying and doing was not quite right. And uh, so we weren't well liked too well afterwards. And, now they usually know, they know who I am, they know who a lot of the other uh, early pioneers in this kind of thing are. They find ways to have us not be there anymore. Um, but basically because we're telling everybody that this is part of the end time delusion. This is part of the deception. And there's no good thing. There's not one alien that has ever said anything in conformity to the word of God. Nothing ever. It's always about a cosmic. This is the thing that really gets me, guys. These guys supposedly come billions and billions of miles to Earth. And you know one of the first things they want to bring up? How we got Jesus wrong. They're not concerned about Muhammad. They're not concerned about anybody else except Jesus. We got that wrong. Do you think? They're liars. So anyways, okay. There we go, okay. So anyways, tonight, I'm going to purposely cause more questions than I am answers. And no, you're not going to find out who the Antichrist is and when the rapture is going to be here. None of that stuff, we're not talking about it. We are going to talk about the prophetic end of, a, of the so-called aliens. They have an agenda. We're going to talk about that, but we're going to keep it in a general area. I want basically to you guys to get one or two basic concepts that the Bible does preach and teach without getting into the particulars. If you can identify that, you don't need the particulars because when the particulars start happening, you're going to go, aha, I remembered that. So, we will have a few answers. Oh, I'm pushing the wrong. Ha, help if I push the right button, wouldn't it? I uh, wanted to back up for some of you that haven't been here. Real quick, like, the judgment of the sons of God and their hybrid offsprings is one that most of the church has got very confused because we don't go beyond a surface rendering for some reason. I don't know why. If we do dig deeper, and what caused me to kind of dig deeper is I understood that the remains of the sons of God and, and the hybrid offspring, once they died in the flood, they were made into disembodied spirits put into a pit in the earth and shackled to chains. And I'm going, well, wait a minute. How do you shackle a, a ghost? And chains. So you know what? We gotta, I got to take a deeper look at the scriptures here to find out what, how does that work? Maybe it does, but how? So I, I dug deeper and we found out was where Peter and Jude both described the same thing of the results of these creatures, these entities that died in a flood. By the way, the reason there was a flood was because 
the genetic human line was contaminated by these hybrid offsprings that should have never been. They were bullies, they were tyrants, they hated God, they hated his creation. They started, uh, it says that all of the life had corrupted in its ways in the Hebrew. When you look back at that, it means that their pathway, their lifeline, their genetics were altered. Same kind of stuff is happening now. Jesus said, just as in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. We're coming full circle. All the activity that existed then is happening again now. So part of this is when they were judged, we look at uh, cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved under judgment. He is reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the day of judgment. I always thought, and probably you did too, okay, that's the white throne judgment. So they're not going anywhere. They're not going to get out or anything. They're, they're there until judgment. And they're, they're chained up. But you look at darkness, and it, uh, Zophos, it means a dark shroud, like a wraparound enclosure, like a cloud. And then Strong's includes in his older version, not the new version, I don't know why they took that out. He says, i.e., a ghost. So it's a ghost. The darkness is a ghost. Then Jude uses uh, Desmond for chains, but Peter uses a different word. It's not that they're talking about something different. It's like a harmony, like an overlay. One is defining one part, and the other is defining a further part. So when we get the overall part, it makes sense. So Jude uses Desmond as an impediment for disability. We see the same word used in Mark, where uh, Jesus had cured a, a deaf man from an impediment, and it was the same word. So... Also, he uses in the statement, under, under not meaning under in the sense that we understand it, but under meaning inferior. So this ghost was an inferior condition, an inferior state, an impediment. They're put into that. Now, Peter uses chains, sierra, and it's derived from a root sero, and it's got a derivative arrow. Now, when you're going back and using a, a Strong's Concordance, looking at these things, if there's a root word or another word that's associated to it, that gives you a flavor of what that word is actually telling you, so you've got to consider all of the other connections there. When you do, it can be telling you that this is a chain or a cycle of going up and down. What do we see demons in? Has anybody here ever been involved in a deliverance? Okay, a few of you. Good. Now, you understand that Sometimes demonic entities, you can conjure them up in, in your house. Don't do this, but you know, if you've ever played with a Ouija board, you get all kinds of troubles coming afterwards. Lights turning on, lights turning off, things disappearing, things reappearing, all, you know, TVs going on, TVs going off, all kinds of weird stuff like that happen. This is because somebody's messed around and invited these things into your home. What's worse, you start getting the emotional pressure and turmoil and problems that never happened before, then all of a sudden, somebody loses it because they may have even come into them. And so that's where me and others that are involved in deliverance ministry have to come in there and clean up house. We've got to find out what the entry was first, who was playing with what, whether it be blatant rebellion or whether it be just plain ignorance. Hey, I bought this in a game. I thought it was a game in a store, and look what happened. So this is the cycle of going up. When we entertain the occult or anything contrary to the word of God in the way of seeking wisdom, power, uh, anything like that, that's occult, and it can conjure up these things. Now, in the name and authority of Jesus Christ, they're cast back down. That's a cycle that they are locked into. And we can get a better understanding of that. We need to understand all of this so we can understand prophetically how they're coming back. Because when they're coming back, you thought they were bad the first time, they're coming back worse the second time. And I can explain that to you, too. Uh, Peter says that they were delivered 
and Jude says that they were reserved. Well, when you look at those two words, that gives you a complete understanding of what's happening. They're not just shackled up, you know, in a cycle from escaping. They're there for a purpose and a reason, an ultimate purpose and a reason that God himself has set up and designed. See, they think it's their own plan. This is all part. God, you know, God never and ever in all of creation ever went, ooh, I didn't see that coming on God. I'll just readjust it. He had it all planned out from the beginning. Nothing took him by surprise. He's in complete control. So the scary stuff we're going to soon be talking about, you don't have to be afraid of. Not if you put your trust and faith in the Lord. People that have studied this stuff outside of Christ, how the heck do you do it? I want to know how you do, how do you keep it glued together up here? If I didn't have hope in Christ, this stuff would scare the tar out of me. It'd be hopeless. We're up against something that we can't even begin to defend ourselves with. But God is in control. We don't have any fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. So the two words, delivered and, and reserved, delivered paradatomy, means to deliver up to another to keep or to use. They're in this cycle because they're being held in a holding pattern until their ultimate destiny is fulfilled. Reserved, teros, has a very unique meaning, and this is kind of an interesting one. It's to withhold for a personal end and, in a sense, to fulfill prophecy. That's why they are in this holding pattern. They're going to fill an ultimate prophecy. Now, we're going to enter into the twilight zone. We're getting into the weird stuff, but with that comes balance. First off, I want to tell you that we don't want to make the same mistake the Jews made. The Jews had their eschatology, the study of end-time events. They had it all figured out. They knew what Messiah was going to come. He was going to deliver them from the Romans. He was going to do this. So here they are, the Pharisee leaders, teaching everybody else about their faith. And they're looking right at Jesus. And they said, well, you know, when Messiah comes, he's not going to be like you. He's going to do this. He's going to do this. They missed it because of dogma. They think they had it all figured out. We can do the same thing. How, go into any Christian chat room and talk about When's going to be the rapture? Who's the Antichrist? Man, you start, I mean, are you ready to rumble? I mean, you know, everybody starts acting like gladiators. They're, they're just bashing each other, calling each other heretics. And So what? It's not core issue. It doesn't matter. The thing is, we can get locked up into maybe very godly people that taught us some things that have been passed down by other godly people that have been passed down by other godly people. These kind of things happen. I've been caught in him. I think, I'm sure Pastor can tell you that he's, he's found that he's locked into tradition, and then when he actually went back and looked at the scripture, you go, oh, wow, wait a minute, he doesn't say that at all. And then he causes you to dig deeper and go further. Above all, prayerfully further, to see what is behind the story there then. So we need to do that so that the wisest thing to do with all the Bible prophecy guys, find the framework and the structure. Instead of trying to pin the tail on the Antichrist and find out who he is, find out the spirit of Antichrist. What is his plan? How does he manipulate? How is he going to come on to the world? The pattern's all there. The occult is so vain, they spell it right out. When you begin to read their iconery, it's a mind blower. It's like, wow, you're, you're tipping yourself off, man, and it goes right along with the word of God. Thanks, chump. That was great, man. And... But the most important thing is we want to study the Word of God. Don't study all these other weird things. And if you do, like I've been called to do, by golly, you better be in prayer and you better be studying the Word equally because you've got to stay focused. You've got to stay anchored in the faith and anchored in the Word of God. So that's my take on prophecy. Keep open-minded. 
Consider all things. Don't, you know, don't reject the weird things I'm about to share with you because it sounds weird. But don't accept it because maybe it logically sounds good. You have to be the Brian. You have to go back to yourself and pray and seek the Lord and ask for a personal answer for verification and clarification. No individual is going to have all the answers. I may have little bits here and little bits there. Five or six other watchmen may have little bits there that all come together to get the right picture. If we're truly wise, we're going to consider everything that has a scriptural foundation or backing for. And then the hardest part for humans to do, patiently wait. We don't know. Let's wait and see how it finds out. Um, gosh, I mean, in the last two years, Comet Elanon was going to wipe us out, and then Comet um, Ison. And I was asking everybody, can we name the next one, since you guys want Comet, more Comets, can we ne name the next one Moron, Comet Moron? I mean, you know, you just have to take some of this stuff lightly. Consider it, pray about it, but let the, God, let the Lord let us know when we need to know. We're not going to know beforehand. I think that's, so that's my understanding of prophecy. It's important to be aware of the times we're in, where we're possibly heading, and watch and consider things so we can identify current situations. But don't have it all predisposed in, in some dogmatic idea you're going to end up missing a boat. So every time we think we know everything, we usually don't. Amen? Is, don't you think that? Yeah, I found that out a lot of times. So anyways, uh, last week I asked everybody to check out Jude, little book of Jude, little mini book. Anybody go home and check that out at all? Pretty weird stuff when you start thinking about aliens and stuff. There's three things that Jude mentions. First off, he says that these are the... These are of old. Some translators try to say these are written of old. Well, it can't be them, so it's got to be writing about them of old. I don't care either way you look at it. They're back, and he's telling you and warning you who's back. He talks about them being spot, uh, uh, spots in your feast of charity. They speak evil of dignitaries. They're actually trying to cause division as any way possible that they can within the church. But he gives definitions. He says they're clouds without water, twice dead plucked up by the roots, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Isn't that what we just studied about the punishment of the angels that sinned and their offspring? It's because how can you be a cloud without water? Clouds are made from water. This is something with a form without substance. They look just like us, but they're not us. That is a Twilight Zone freaky thing. Twice dead, plucked up to the roots. Oh, yeah, twice dead. Well, they're dead spiritually. And, ooh, they already died once? Yeah, in a flood. What they don't understand is they're going to die again. Only this time, the lake isn't water, it's fire. And they're going to be in that forever. And that's their end. It says that these are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. What advantage? The fact that they've been around since creation, they know history better than us. They're there. They can lie about it better, better than we can understand it because they were there. They created some of that history. We are contending with entities that look just like you and me. I think you could turn on a history channel tomorrow and watch Ancient Aliens and see all kinds of these people. Or the Bible. Uh, suddenly, history channel seems to think that now they've become Bible teachers. Have you noticed that they have all kinds of Bible stuff. Most of it is some of the worst trash I've ever seen. A first-year student can see right through most. Most everybody that goes here can see through it because you've got good teaching here. 
But the rest of the world that hasn't got any church background, they go, oh, ah, it must be true. I saw it on the internet, I saw it on TV, it was on a documentary, it's got to be true. No, they're programming them to accept the big lies as they're coming down. So, I want to take another look at their capture. Because this is kind of cool, because what captured them is what's going to release them. So it's maybe important to see that. It says in Isaiah, uh, 24th chapter, I think it's the 10th verse, it says, The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard, and shall be removed like a cottage. Like a, removed like a cottage means like a temporary tent, nothing with a heavy foundation, just something you can blow right over easily. And it says, And the transgressions thereof shall be heavy upon it, and it shall fall and not rise again. Now, myself and many others are saying, looking at this, and we're going, wobbling like a to and fro. That's the earth tilting its axis. What's happening lately? If some of you have been keeping up on this, our magnetic uh, polar axis is shape, shifting and changing, and it's going more and more as time goes by. Something's causing that. Some, most, many of the scientists, I won't say many, most, but many of the scientists are thinking, geez, this is going to end with a complete reversal, a complete tipping of the axis. Yeah, because it happened before one time. So this is what these articles here are saying, but here's the whole text of the context. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard, and shall be removed like a cottage, and the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it, and it shall fall and not rise again. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones, the sons of God, and the kings of the earth upon the earth. How do I know that that's what that's saying? The next verse. And they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit. And they shall be shut up in the prison, and after many days they shall be visited. Visited is a key linchpin to the whole thing right here, because there's another scripture that links right into that. Visited. Visited by who? By what? Imagine, now there's a scripture that's talking about an angel coming down from heaven, and he has a key to the bottomless pit. Remember hearing that in Revelation 9th chapter? So, if the earth is shifting its axis, imagine a key going in one slot, turning to another axis, and something comes out. This is what's happening here. And here it is. Twilight zone number two. We know, I know anyway, that there are holes at the poles. And there's an entrance into, you know, we all say hell is down there. We don't ever really give it a second thought. Jesus told us that when, when uh, Lazarus died and the rich man died, Lazarus went to one place and there was a chasm dividing it to the other place. And the other place was Abraham's bosom. So I've looked at some commentaries and they're saying, well, it's just describing the fondness that Abraham had in his faith and everything, and so this is a special place that he went. Uh, yeah, but Merle F. Unger, I got his dictionary. You know who Unger is? I, I like his stuff, man. He's pretty, pretty good. A little out-of-the-box kind of guy. That's what I like about him. But he, uh, he explains that a bosom, back in the days when they wore a tunic, is tied around by the waist. And then the upper forepart, everybody knew when you went into market that you put stuff in the bosom. It's a pocket inside of something. So Abraham's bosom is just describing this pocket inside the earth. When Jesus hung on the cross and he said to the one thief, he said, this day shall you be with me in paradise. He didn't go up to heaven for 40 days. 
he went into the earth. How do, you, how do I know? Well, we're going to get to that scripture right away. First, okay, so my claim is there's one axis. There's an inner earth. All the bad guys are locked up inside here, but here's one, one axis. Where's the other axis? That's north and south. Now, you know, it's, the Lord says that our sins are forgiven as far as the east is to the west. You can go north, and there's, eventually there's no more north. It's all south. You can go south the same way. But you go east and west, it's bottomless. There's no end. It's always an east and a west. <laughs> Do we have any place on earth where we got a lot of weird things happening? Electromagnetic weird things happening? Compasses going crazy? People getting lost? People disappearing? Ships disappearing? You ever? You know what I'm... Any? Yes, thank you. Yes, Bermuda Triangle right here. Now, here's the interesting part. If you were to drill a hole from the Bermuda Triangle, not to the center of the Earth, but just, let's say it's located here, you just go right here on the opposite side, you end up in the Dragon's Triangle off the coast of Japan. Same kind of things happen. Do you think maybe that could be the other axis? This is a never-never land, other dimensional kind of thing. Maybe a wormhole. I don't know. I'm not a geophysicist. I'm not a theoretical physicist. I'm just a guy that asked a lot of questions from the Lord and got a few answers. Um, but it would appear to be that this is, would be maybe what's called the bottomless pit. So when I'm saying that the earth is hollow, there's real openings, there's a real other world down there, but there's also another axis where somehow it's interdimensional and the two interact with each other. But somehow the earth had to tilt so that these things can be put in, it tilts back, now they're locked in. Guess what? The earth's going to tilt again. And this time the angel has the key. He's the one tilting it. He's the one turning it. They're released. So there's the hollow earth. But that's just one of many pictures, and who knows what it really is like. But here's the one, Revelation 9, 1, 1, 3. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the keys to the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit. The next scene is we see these you know, locusts coming out, long hair of a woman, uh, crowns, and all this other stuff. Some people, and they've actually genetically made this freak-looking thing that looks just like this locust thing coming out. And I've got some of my uh, fellow uh, researchers saying, oh, that's it, that's it. I said, no, that's the fake one. The real one's something totally different. What do you mean? I said, you're taking it literal, and I don't think it's literal here. here. You have eight points of a description. And the Bible defines itself by itself. If you look at those eight points and look it up and then make a list of the definitions, you go, oh, my gosh. It's everything that I'm trying to say is going to happen. It's an alien invasion from hell, not from space, but from hell. And it's in every detail. The tail of a scorpion. What is the tail of a scorpion? Look it up, you find out in Isaiah. Oh, he who speaks the truth is the head, that's God, and the false prophet is the tail. Is the tail. Makes all the sense in the world to me. It's a false prophet. A false prophet is a tail of a scorpion. So that's just one other example. We can't really get into it. We've got to scoot right along. Now, here's the other one visited. O Lord, our God, other lords beside thee have had dominion over us. That word dominion is interesting because it is the word used that a husband has authority over the wife. It's talking about, in that sense, that other lords besides thee have been married over us. But by thee only will we make mention of thy name. They are dead, they shall not live. Now this is a statement. They're saying, whoever they are, they're dead. 
they're not going to be alive. Then it says they are deceased. The word deceased there is rafa, derived from the rafim. These are the goats of the giants that we already saw in Genesis 6-4. They shall not rise. They won't have a resurrection. Now, this is God saying this is their natural state. But then it says, therefore thou hast visited and destroyed them. That word visited is the same word visited that said that these things would be put into this state until they were visited. Visited has two meanings. One of them is when Sarah was given the supernatural ability to give childbirth way beyond her age. An angel came and visited her. Now this time, this is a visitation by someone else. Someone really, really big. Someone like the top authority big. And he's overturning this natural state. Pakad also means to be mustered up as an army. But what happens to this army? Look right here. And he destroyed them and made all of their memory to perish. These things are so vain, they can't help but to use their names. There's a Swiss farmer that was a contactee for the aliens from the Pleiades, these Nordic guys, that came and talked to him. You know what the head guy's name is? Semyaze. That might mean, not mean a lot to some of you here, but some of you know exactly who I'm talking about. In the book of Enoch, that book that was quoted by Jude, it's not a canonical book, but it's something that we can at least look at the historical reality um, or reliability, much like the book of Maccabees. It gives us some historical narration in between the Old and New Testament. The book of Enoch, Ethiopic 1, is one that I believe has a certain validity to that because it is quoted by Jude. There's other books of Enoch out there. There's the Secrets of Enoch, the Keys of Enoch, Enoch 2. Those are good for wrapping up dead fish, um, lining a bird cage, or using out in an outhouse, but they're not good for anything else. They're full of Gnostic weird stuff that just, just flagrantly, blatantly is a contrary to the Word of God. The Ethiopic version is totally harmonious to the Word of God and only expounds more on what happened before the flood. They told us two things in the book of Enoch, that the secrets of heaven were scattered amongst men. Now men knew every secret of the angels. Them secrets, I am saying, is physics. It's a way of doing things up there that we got no business knowing down here. So anyways... They're vain. They like to use their own names. There's other contactees, other so-called aliens. They're all the names of demons. They're just so darn stupidly vain, they just can't help using their own names. So everybody in the UFO communities go, oh, wow, I just talked to Ashtar. I talked to um, um, Bazilabub. You know, it's like, you, you talk to who? What? Anybody with a biblical background knows, that's a demon, man. What are you talking about? That's crazy. That's how they do things. Now, who went and visited? This is so cool right here. Wherefore he said, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now he that ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all things, that he might fill all things. That's Jesus Christ. Christ went down and he paid a visit to them. And here's a confirmation of that in 1 Peter 3, 18 and 20. For Christ also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened in the spirit, by which he went and preached. Now, it doesn't mean he was preaching the gospel. He was proclaiming a statement. And in, in proper context in the Greek, that's exactly what that means. He just merely proclaimed something unto the spirits in prison. The particular word use of spirits there, without a modifier or definer, is meaning 
not departed humans, but something of a supernatural spirit being. He went and preached to the spirits in prison, which, and here's a confirmation here, which sometimes were disobedient when the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water, and they weren't one of them. So we come full circle to the other, the other two scriptures. Here's, I love this one, though. There's been some false teaching by a TV preacher saying that um, when Jesus died, he went to hell and had to suffer torments. <laughs> oh, I heard that. I'm furious, man. There's no way. He went down there. He went down there as the conquering hero. He went down there and he made an open display. This is what it's saying right there. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. He came down and he said, you know, in Genesis 6-4, you tried to head me off the pass. You tried to contaminate the human race, but I made it. I died and I rose again and I conquered death and now there's deliverance for whosoever will may come. You are the losers. You know what? You guys are so vain. I'm going to let you free. I'm going to let you rise up. But know that it's going to be to your total destruction in, in the future. They're not even going to remember who you were. That is an open show. And that's what he did and that's what he said. Now this army of darkness, in Joel's second chapter, this is something that all, all Christianity and all prophecy Bible teachers are always related to. In Revelation 9 and John's second chapter, or Joel's second chapter, talking about the same event. We're talking about that locust invasion. We're talking about a group, an army. Now, Hal Lindsey, bless his heart, I got saved by reading his book. But when he's saying it's 200 million Chinese, no, I got good news for the Chinese. I got a, a video out called the Hollow Earth series and the locust invasion. And I guess they went ballistic over in China. Because I'm saying, guys, you know what? You don't have to be feeling guilty. You're not the ones doing this. Because this is an army that has never been and never will be again. Joel's second chapter, it, it, it reads out like a bad weather report. When you read it in the King James or any other translation, it says this is a day of dark clouds, drooping clouds, um, doom and gloom. And, and you go, oh man, this is a bad weather day. No. Look back to the Hebrew and the variables for some of these words. And man, it's going, whoa, this blow me right off when I, when I read this. It's a day of ignorance and concealment, a day of practice magic, and the lowering of high things. There's another scripture that says that, that there's a great earthquake and that men's hearts are feeling them for fear, for the heavens have been shaken. And we interpret that somehow as a giant celestial earthquake. You know, when you look at that word, though, shaken, it means to be agitated, and it does mean, like, you know, to shake something up in a general sense. But it has a variation to that meaning, meaning taking something from a secure place and putting it in an insecure place. The secrets of heaven, the way the physics and science and technology that God does use science, he does use things. He created physics. God's a God of order. He didn't just make things out of chaos. He has a structure and an order, and that's part of what physics is. It seems magical to us only because we don't understand it. But he still uses an order. This is the scary part, and we're going to get into that in a few seconds. But the thing is, this is the lowering of high things. This is those secrets being scattered. And that secret created this. It says, as the dawn spreads out upon the mountains, a huge gathering of a mighty people come into existence that has never been before and never will be after. The, the, the cutting-edge technologies that we're on the verge of, are no longer limited to science fiction. Once we had the human genome mapped out completely, once we could in integrate chemical, biological, electricity with mechanical, electrical engine, you know, we can integrate the two. Uh, 
What's that one with the robots? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Why can't I? I'm having a senior moment now. Thank you. Terminator is no longer science fiction. Terminator is our future. If you doubt this, write this down and, and check it out on the internet. It's called 2045, A New Beginning. This is what scientists are already compiling. And they're telling us by 2045, we will have an immortal body. This is where Satan's heading everything, too. So what I want to share with you is that the alien agenda is Satan's agenda. Did you know that he had an agenda? I briefly talked about the five I wills in Isaiah 14th chapter. It's actually literally Satan was put in the Garden of Eden to be God's super cop, to be the protector and provider for God's creation. He kind of looked around and he says, you know what? This isn't too hard to figure out. I can do this. So the five I wills are a plan. It tells you who, when, where, why, and how. Satan has a plan. He, he deceived Adam and Eve, took away their promise, and he's going to sell it back to them. Sounds just like Satan, something he would do. So, in the fall, mankind lost their eternal body. Their body changed. And it was based on a lot of part about blood. That's why a, a shedding of another blood had to undo the paradox that was created in the Garden of Eden. There's some pretty weird stuff going on in the Garden of Eden, too, and maybe someday we can get into that. But the, the two lies, mankind lost their eternal body, but the lie that Satan gave them was, you shall surely not die. My statement, my claim is that he didn't just lie to Adam and Eve. Eventually, in time, he's going to give mankind an eternal body. Not going to work out too right. It's going to break out in boils. And people are going to seek death and not find it. Do you ever wonder about that scripture in Revelations where it says that? that all that took the mark will break out in boils and they're going to seek death and they can't find it? I don't think it's necessarily an RFID chip. I think that might be the fake one. But at the same time, I'm not going to take an RFID chip in my arm. I'm not going to put a tattoo in my arm. I'm not going to put anything on my arms just to be on the safe side because we don't know for sure. My idea and many others are starting to realize, oh my gosh, it might be a transhuman clone cyborg body that is being offered us in mockery especially if it's under a phony second coming. We'll get to that point in a minute. In the fall, mankind was created to live in eternity with God as an eternal environment. We got booted out of that eternal environment. Now we live in a linear time. Did you know the linear time is part of the fall? It's not what is intended. It's not normal. The Bible actually teaches that we're living in a parallel altered universe. Ecclesiastes 3.15 says everything that is and everything that will be God requires an account of that which is past. It's already done. It's like God isn't up there in heaven anticipating what he's going to do. I'm God and I know what I'm going to do. It's already done. That's why our prophecies are 100% pure true. Because it's recorded history. That's why sometimes the Lord speaks about future events that haven't happened yet like it's past events. Do you ever see that? Never get kind of confused by that? Even Daniel says, you know, he speaks these things as if they're because he's outside of time. We have a hard time listening to that. But we won't, because Satan's going to explain it to us. Oh, too much about time that we don't need to know. So mankind lost their eternal home. But what did Satan say? Your eyes will be open. You'll be like God's. If you could think in your vanity, you could manipulate time. Well, then you could be all-present. You, know, you could be all-powerful. You'd be all-knowing. You'd be like God. There are scriptures that actually talk about all of this. I've got a four-part series uh, DVD on it. It's free on the internet, on YouTube, where you could support my ministry and buy it real cheap out there later, if you wanted to. All the scriptures are there. I truly believe that the Word of God has an answer for everything. Anything that comes against our faith, 
I mean, it's not going to give answers for just, you know, touting around thinking, oh, boy, I'm a really smart guy. Look at all the cool stuff I figured out. And I've been accused of doing that. Pete, uh, Wilhelmsen just looks for the sensational. No, Wilhelmsen looks for the object of love that stands in the gap to the lie that Satan's trying to kill people with. That's all I'm trying to do. And I don't limit God in one bit. Artificial intelligence, already addressed. Cloning, already addressed. Transhumanism, already addressed. Time travel, already addressed. It's all part of an end-time deception. And there's a physics, a science, a technology, and a history to back and show that these things are real. These are what we're faced with in the last days, everybody. That's what I want to try to get you to. You don't have to believe me, really. This is Twilight Zone stuff. I realize it. But if you'll consider it and pray and take it back to the Father and pray and ask him, he'll start showing you these same scriptures. He'll start confirming and verifying and clarifying a lot of the stuff that I'm saying. So here's the five I wills of Satan. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I think all of us get this surface image of Satan rushing up to heaven. I'm going to take the throne of God off. I'm going to replace it with my throne. And I'm just going to, you know, rise. You know, we see him rising above the clouds, getting into outer space, going into the third heaven, and then saying, okay, I'm going to take you on. I'm going to overthrow you. And then he got cast back down. So everybody thinks, well... He lost that battle, so now misery loves company. He's just going to try to drag everybody else down. He's got a plan. He's deluded. He's insane. He thinks he's going to be God in his own game. And I'll show you the scriptures that prove that. This proves it right here. I will ascend into heaven. Ascend means to rise from a lower place to an upper place. But it has a meaning also as ascending as in a resurrection. That's what our Lord did. He made himself lower so that he could die for our sins. And then he rose above everything so that he would be preeminent in everything, that he could bring all things together in him. Satan's going to imitate the same thing, but in an opposite fashion. And this is what this scripture is saying. You know, in the Left Behind series, and I, I don't diss it because the gospel is presented in it, and people have gotten saved in spite of the eschatology that I think is, like, really way off. But people get saved, so I'm not going to badmouth it. But I will tell you that some of the eschatology in there is really bad. We get the idea, how many, all of you probably, raise your hands if you've ever heard that the Antichrist will come, he'll be politically assassinated, and three days later he'll rise. You ever heard that? Show me in the Bible where that is. I don't see it. I've been studying it for 40 years, I still don't see it. If you can show me where it is in the Bible, I'll believe it. But until then, it's man-made rhetoric. It's a good idea. It's a kind of a same but opposite pattern, right? But it's not in the Bible. It's nowhere to be found. Not even an illusion of it, but I can show you scripture where one person comes twice. Bet you never heard that one before, have you? Can you go to any Bible teacher anywhere around that you know? Well, I do know one. He's, he's in uh, Grand, uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. He wrote a book called The Sign, and he's pointing out that there's one guy that was going to come back twice. Rather interesting book, The Sign. Um, the second one, I will exalt my throne above the stars. The throne there, the Hebrew word kisi, actually means a canopy throne, and it's talking more of the covering. It's talking about a body. He's going to make his body higher than the angelic order that he is now. Well, the only thing higher is God and us in a resurrection. So he's going to try to copy or imitate something in us or something that we have, something that we have as a promise. So he's not talking about just putting a throne up there in heaven somewhere. He's saying that his throne right here 
he's going to make higher than the angelic orders. He wants to be more of something. That's what he's working at. Now, this one is real controversial. You don't have to believe it at all. I don't expect you to. I didn't believe it when God first told me. I'm driving on a 10-day fast. I'm driving down the road, and I see this huge flag from General Tire waving in the air. And in almost an inaudible voice, I hear the Lord tell me, Jim, the founding fathers of your nation are from the tribe of Dan. Study the tribe of Dan, and you'll understand. My first reaction, well, here's God's talking to me. This has only happened twice in my lifetime. And the first thing I'm thinking, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. I never heard anything like that before. And probably you haven't either. And you know what? Red flags should go up. Don't take my word for it. Study the tribe of Dan and you'll know. There's an amazing explanation in the tribe of Dan of why America has been such a double-minded America right from the beginning. Why is, why is Washington, D.C. set out in occult mathematics and everything like that? Because there was a design right from the beginning from Satan. But God also had a design. We're double-minded. You know what the tribe of Dan always was? Double-minded. Let's get into, I'll just briefly get into some of it. It's been said by many Bible scholars that from the tribe of Dan would come the Antichrist. Probably so. Did you know that the, the cherubs on the Ark of the Covenant with the two cherubs, one is, has the face of a lion and the face of a man. The other one has the face of an eagle and the face of a bull. So from the tribe of Judah comes the son of man. From the eagle, which was the secondary symbol of the tribe of Dan, the first was Scorpios, which originally was a serpent, uh, and then they later changed, astrology changed it to uh, uh, the scorpion, but Scorpius was originally the serpent. Eheiser, the head of the uh, Danites at the time, was offended by that, so he had it changed to uh, the natural enemy, the, eagle, the serpent, which was the eagle. So the, the thing that really takes this out of speculation and puts it into some solid evidence for further study is the fact that Judah and Dan, Judah by Jacob, it was prophesied over the 12 tribes that Judah would be a lion's whelp. And then it goes on to describe the history of Judah prophetically. Judah would be a tribe, but yet it would be Judea, the, the tribe nation, when the kingdom was divided. There was Israel and Judea. Judea remained until Jesus Christ came. And then the scepter was taken from him, which it says that, that he would remain that way until Shiloh came. Shiloh was Jesus. So we see by the type and shadow of, of Judah that this is a nation that is a tribe nation. We get that from even the, the lion's whelp. The, the word for lion's whelp means to be abiding in the den, but it's from a root that means to turn aside as a sojourner. So in other words, it's a separate nation, but it's still in the family and providence of, and plans of God. Now, Dan was said that it would be a lion's whelp. It would take a violent leap from Bashan, northern Lebanon. That happened by the Assyrians in their captivity. Dan's traceable, uh, very easy, to, the, to uh, Dan's land, on the land uh, next to Danube. The oldest writings in Ireland are the Tau de Danon, the tribe of Dan. There's, it's very easy, do a little bit of research, even further back to Greece and Rome. Dan's quite a traveling man, He'd been around a while. Anyways, long story short, I, I really don't want to get into more, but do your own studies and, and uh, you'll find out it's pretty incredible. I have a video posted on YouTube called uh, Double-Minded America and the Tribe of Dan. Have all the scriptures, all the breakdowns and everything to make it, I think, pretty conclusive that Dan is something that we need to be aware of. There's an interesting scripture in Daniel 49th chapter. It says that Dan shall be a serpent by the way that bites the horse's heels so that the rider shall fall backward. That is the same language in the original language 
as Genesis 3, where the seed of the woman would come one that would crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent seed would make, make, bite at the heel and make the person fall back. That was Jesus Christ in his first time. He would come and he would fall back. This one's telling us that Dan would make the horse and his rider, the Antichrist, fall back in his first coming. And then he'll come back. And we'll see this here. The other one, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. The clouds of heaven, the heights there, above the heights, in the Hebrew, is actually telling us that this is like a fame or the object of worship or blessing. And in this sense, they said it's literally to ride on the back of. And so they're saying, well, it can't possibly mean that. So it means in the sense of the authority. In other words, you have a stiff back, you have the authority. So that's kind of a stretch. I don't know whether I buy that completely, but it sure kind of ties in nice and neatly here. Because when you think about it, what did Jesus leave in? A cloud of heaven. Was it a flumpy chunk, a chunk of water vapor? No. You look all throughout the Bible, it's, you know, it wasn't a chunky, uh, fluffy chunk of water vapor. Matter of fact, most theologians call it a theophany. Theophany is a nice... Um, Theological name that makes it classified so they feel satisfied that they classified it, but basically says, we don't know what the heck it means. We don't know heck, what the heck it is. Which is, we'll call it a theopony. It's some kind of supernatural appearance of God. You know what? That's not going to hold up now because we got the UFO community saying, silly Christian, the cloud of heaven was a UFO, and he's coming back in a UFO. And somebody is going to come back in a UFO, but it's not going to be my Jesus. It's not going to be your Jesus. We need to know what it is, because you know what? If we're going to try to defend that with a fluffy chunk of water vapor, we're going to look pretty lame. But if you let the Bible interpret it by itself, it's in my book. It's in a DVD I got out there, too. What are the clouds of heaven? It's another Twilight Zone thing. But the answer doesn't take anything away from God. It doesn't draw you away from God. What it should do is draw you closer to God. You go, oh, that's cool, God. That's how you work things out. Now, this last one. I will be like the Most High. Be like means to use a similitude, to imitate. It also has a meaning, and I love this when I saw this. I think it was um, Vine's Notes on Strong's Numbers that said that. It meant to copy as to overlay, like putting on clothes. So in other words, there's a procedure, a process, a method. You put in the, outer, the inner garments and then the outer garments. It's a process of copying and overlaying what's real. Now, what I gather by this is that Satan, in two appearances, is going to be the firstborn of his kind. Jesus was the first of us who follow. Satan, through the Antichrist, will come the first time. He'll sacrifice his life. And then he will, however a dead man comes back to life, science and technology is what I say, will actually do this for the rest of his kind. We have that in several different types and shadows in the scriptures. So I'm saying that the whole plan, if it's like putting on clothes, that means we can expect utilizing UFOs. Now, this is Jim Wilhelmson's speculation, not doctrine. Please don't get locked in. Please don't say that I'm teaching this as an absolute fact. It's one of many possible scenarios that we could put in the back of our mind, and if these events happen like I say they do, you'll at least have some kind of a uh, foundation for them. And if it doesn't, nothing's lost, nothing's gained. I haven't required you to do anything. You just put it in the back of your mind and consider it. I think the possibility is that we're going to see a phony rapture. New ages are taken. Christians are left behind. 
This turns the table so the evil is good and good is evil. They'll try to complete Christianity the way Judaism was a completion of Christian of well, they, sorry the way Christianity was a completion of Judaism. They will try to do it by saying that the New Age is actually a completion of Christians' expectations. There's already a book written by a New Ager, Peter Le Masseur, that spells out the whole strategy for that. Because his premise was, in order to create a one-world government, religion, and economic system for the whole world to, provide, to believe, these accountability religions of, of Judaism and Christianity is going to have to have their end-time expectations fulfilled. So, it's just like in history. World War II was spelled out that way on both, uh, on both accounts. All they had to do was read the Tanaka papers and know exactly what the Japanese were all about. All we had to do was read Mein Kampf and find out what Hitler was all about. If you can endure Mein Kampf, I read it, it's, man, what a bunch of psychobabble. But when you read it, you go, oh my God, that's what's happening in America today. Yeah, it is. Here are some of the other scriptures that I think tell us more on this last part about a resurrection of a type and shadow. In Job 26, 5, 6, or, yeah, 5 and 6, Dead things are formed from under the waters, and the inhabitants thereof. Hell is naked before him, and, de and destruction has no covering. Dead things, again, is Rapha, the ghosts of the giants. The word formed there does not mean creation. God's not creating whales, like one commentary said. But that the dead things, the dead ghosts of the giants, are cured, healed, repaired, restored. That's what that word formed means. And it has another meaning, and this is too weird. Chul. It means twisting, spiraling. If that isn't a double helix coil, I, don't, I think it's alluding to that. That's how they're cured, by manipulation of DNA. In Daniel 2.43, where is thou... Now, this is, this is an activity in context. We're seeing all the different kingdoms of the earth. And the Christ comes back at the ten toes at the bottom of the statue. This is the activity that's going on in that kingdom. It describes that they would, they would be partly united, partly scattered. That's two people that one time were in conflict with each other that end up becoming the same, with the same agenda. And part of that agenda is right there. It says, And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, and they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron does not mix with clay. I've had so many people, they say, Well, see, Jim, that proves they didn't do it. They can't, it can't happen. They can't come back. I said, Well, think of that logically. If they failed at doing it, why is this mentioned in the end-time activity of a kingdom that what they're doing is so horrible, God has to come back and put a stop to it? It's because, okay, maybe we need to look at that word uh, cleave. Yeah, okay, we look at the word cleave. We find out that that word in the Aramaic is identical to the same word used in Genesis 3rd chapter. It says, where a man shall leave father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, wherefore are they no longer two flesh but one. It's talking about, in Genesis 6, they got married. They had a family structure. They had nor birth in the normal way. This time, in the last beast empire, they're doing it outside of marriage. So there's no mixing, other than genetic manipulation. That is the very theme of alien abduction. Alien abduction is something that I've counseled for the last um, six, 17 years now. And it's not a myth, it's real. Not all of it's real, some of it is delusionary, but that's where counseling comes in to separate what is and what isn't. And so that's for another story, another day, another time. Another scripture in Isaiah 14, 29. Now, if I got the King James right. Whoops. I got the King James right here, so you can take a look at it. It says, Rejoice not thou, hope of Palestinia, for 
because the rod of him that smote thee is broken, for out of the serpent's root shall come forth a cockatrice, and his fruit shall be a fiery flying serpent. That doesn't say a whole lot. This was said under context where, where the Philistines had just got, gained a big victory over Israel, mainly battling the tribe of Dan. So rod there means tribe, and when you know the history, you know that they're referring to the tribe of Dan. So it's saying here, it paraphrase, my paraphrase, rejoice not all of you Philistines. Now the Philistines is where Joshua and Caleb were wiping out all the giants and all the tribes are related. Did you ever wonder, you know, that's the embarrassing part when people say, well, God did genocide too. Did you ever wonder why he told Joshua and Caleb to wipe out every man, woman, and child, and even animals? Because the tribes that he mentioned that he wanted wiped out were genetically tainted with the giants, the Nephilim of 6-4. You go, well, how did they come back? Well, I don't know. I sat at a round table discussion with some of the best minds in this world researching this, and none of us could really know. We had a lot of ideas, argued and fought over them, but no one knows. We just know that they came back somehow, some way. So it says, Rejoice not all of you Philistines, the tribe that punished you, Dan, is broken off to pluck up the serpent's soil, an extrusion of offspring. Now I've heard that extrusion is what genetic uh, splicing is actually what it's uh, doing there. Uh, to pluck up from the serpent's soil an extension an extrusion of offspring, shining ones to cover with obscurity the serpent. In other words, they don't want to stay in that present state that they're in, and the disembodied spirits don't want to stay disembodied. They want a new body. But this body won't die in a flood with water. This body will be impervious. Joel's second chapter says they fall upon a sword. They're not even wounded. In Revelation 9, it says they have breastplates of iron. There's two different ways to look at it, and I think it's describing both, uh, an invulnerability to death. We have an example and a type of shadow of everything that I've just said, and we're going to take a look at that example. Uh, the abomination makes desolate. It happened twice, and it's going to happen again. Whenever you see something repetitive like that happen, it's very, very important. Now, this is going to be something that some of you are going to just be incensed and go, wait a minute, I've never heard this kind of teaching before from the abomination and desolation, and it means something else. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Sometimes uh, scripture can have more than one meaning. So I want to get into this. First off, we have to understand that when, whenever they had a sacrifice that took a, a lamb without spot or blemish and sacrificed it, cut its throat, drained the blood, sprinkled the blood over the Ark of the Covenant, and then a Shekinah glory would radiate from that all the way out into the outer walls. And you would see the glory of God and know that the sacrifice was approved. This is what Satan is going to imitate. And of course, this is all the foreshadowing of Jesus and the sacrifice he made on the cross for us. Now the first time the abomination made desolate happen was by Anatakis Epiphanes IV in 168 BC. He came down, sacked the temple, destroyed it, killed everybody, and he slaughtered a pig in the Holy of Holies. And he set out an army, literally, literally an army of idols on the ramparts, the highest level of defense all along the outer wall, all these pagan things. This is alluding to the fact that Satan would come as a sacrifice, an impure sacrifice, and from that sacrifice, instead of the glory of God, you see the glory of man. You see these false idols that are worshipped as gods and goddesses all throughout our history. Now the second time, Titus in 70 AD in Rome came down, destroyed the temple, literally tore the part of the temple brick by brick, just like Jesus had prophesied. Now in this, he set a statue of Zeus. Zeus is kind of like the, oops, he's like the top god. He's the guy in charge. So the second time he comes back, like the lion, with his military 
contingency, the army, because what the Romans did when they put the statue of Zeus in the Holy of Holies, they placed each individual legion's banner all along the ramparts. I don't think this is by coincidence, folks. I think God's trying to show us through the events that happen here of a plan that Satan is going to do to mock God. Now, the third time, Paul says, when you see him standing in the temple. Now, I'm not against a third temple being built. But what is the temple now in the New Testament times? Yes, our body. Know ye not that you are the temple of God? Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it back up. So what temple is this Antichrist, the man of sin, going to stand in? A dead body come back to life. I don't think it has anything to do with the third temple. Although the third temple is certainly going to cause a lot of political unrest that's going to lead to a lot of the events that are going to happen. So I'm not discrediting that one, but I am saying that there's another part of this dimension that we're not looking at or seeing, and that is that the temple may be the body, and we're being told that a dead person comes back. Now, I've got it here in these little pictures that this dead person comes back. And if I'm right about Dan, there's the highest level of defense. And there's a connection. And it goes all back to Nazi Germany. They were the first ones working on cloning. They were the first ones working on a lot of this occult-based, out-of-the-box weird stuff. We're not going to get into it tonight. Maybe never. Or maybe if you're interested enough, maybe sometime later. But not now. But my idea is that from the highest level of defense, genetic manipulation gleaned from those that were occultists are going to bring this guy back and then it'll be offered. And of course, he'll be the firstborn of all of his idols. There'll be a military army, but then it will be offered to whosoever will may come. You ever wonder why the mark of the beast is not going to be imposed on you? You have to accept it. I believe a day that it's going to be where a cosmic Jesus is going to have altar calls to come to accept him and to accept his mark. You'll be taken, you might even be singing just as I am as they come forward. I mean, it's how horrible of a mockery this is going to be. That's why we're safe in knowing that it can't, you can't wake up from a coma and have the mark, oh, I didn't see that coming. You have to accept it because you have to knowingly reject the God of the Bible. So it's so much important not to know who the name of this guy is. Know who Jesus is. So when this guy comes, you'll see him for the faith that he is. And see this pattern, because I really, truly believe, guys, that we're going to see this pattern being played out. Now, here's the scripture that tells you that this guy called the Antichrist, if that's who this is talking about, because in context, to be fair, we're not said, this is the Antichrist. It says the beast is going to come. We assume it's the Antichrist. I think it is. But look what it says here. Now, most of your... I don't know where they get this from. You know, I'm, I'm not a... I don't have a PhD in theology, I really don't. I just pray a lot, fast a lot, and heard a lot from God. And this is what he showed me right here. This context is not, cannot possibly be talking about an ecclesiastical organization like the Holy Roman Empire, although they have a very evil part in the end times, but it's not talking about them here. It's not talking about a ten-nation confederacy out in Europe. It's not talk, it can't be talking about anything other than an individual person because it says when he comes, he is of the seven and is the eighth. He is the first person singular noun. It has to be an individual human being who was the beast who was, is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they behold the beast that was, is not, and yet is. What does that mean? It means he's alive, 
He's dead. And yet he is. And here's the mind of which he that hath wisdom. The seven heads were seven mountains on which the woman sits. That is not the seven hills of Rome. And it's just not. We're told the mountains are kingdoms, and there's five, there's kings. And here it says that. And here's the mind that has wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman sits. The woman is the false religious system. She sits on every one of the kingdoms on this earth that ever existed, and in some form or another has worshipped these Nephilim as gods and goddesses. The Egyptian, the Assyrian, Babylonian, Medidaean, Persian, the Grecian, Roman, and then a revived Roman, and then the final eighth empire. It says there are seven kings. Five are already fallen. That's these guys. And then in John's time, one is, that's Rome. And then it says when not yet come, and five, one is, and one, one of the have not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue for a short space. I say 12 years. And the beast that was is not. Even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goes into perdition. So he's a ruler of one of seven prior empires who comes back to lead the final eighth empire. We're not going to get into names today, so we'll just move along. His second coming is going to be with UFOs, and I think I can almost prove it. I can prove it by Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians 2.9 says, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all powers and signs and lying wonders. Now, Spiros is a Hiatis, THD, is an, esteemed as being one of the top experts in ancient Greek in our day. He does not believe anything about Genesis 6. Oh man, he gets off on a thing that I can't even, I have a hard time reading myself. He doesn't like that. He doesn't hear it. Yet, in his honesty, he's staying true to some of the words, which actually are reversing what he said before, but he just doesn't understand that it is. This is his comment about, about this scripture. He says, these two words do not refer to different classes of miracles, but to different qualities of the same miracle. Terrace wonders is a miracle regarded as a startling, imposing, frequently used elsewhere for strange appearances in the heaven. Simeon signs is the same miracle with an ethical and, and uh, with an ethical means. They're valuable not so much for what they are, but what they indicate. Now, to me, that's the two-part alien encounter. There's a sudden startling appearance in the skies, and their message is always an antichrist message. That's going to introduce the antichrist, and everything is going to be played out. Phony rapture, phony tribulation, phony second coming. What, is it, what, what does God say he's going to do? He's going to give us a new name in our forehead. What is the Antichrist going to do? He's putting up something else in our forehead. God says he's going to give us a glorified body for eternity. Satan says, I want to do the same thing. And I'm going to do it before you do, and I'm going to fake everybody out. You know what I like is back in Matthew, he said, Matthew said, except these days be shortened, therefore no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, I will shorten them. He also says that this delusion is so big that if it were possible, it would deceive the very elect. Now, it didn't say that the very elect is going to be deceived. It said, if it were possible. What does that mean? It means it's impossible. You have the spirit of error and truth in you if you were born again. You're going to know when you need to know. But the most important thing for us today is that we need to hear his voice today. And we need to follow it today. And if we do that, guess what? Tomorrow takes care of itself. I cannot imagine one person that knows this stuff and doesn't know Jesus because that's your only hope. Science is soon going to redefine everything that we ever thought we knew and going to offer you knowledge about everything, about time, about space, 
about the human body. But you know one thing science cannot define, cannot explain? The love of God in Christ Jesus. That's something science will never, ever be able to imitate or do for you. But Christ can. So my offer, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Christ, but knows some of this stuff or you know that maybe it's real, I pray that you'll just, it's one prayer away. All you've got to do is ask him into your heart. It costs you everything and it costs you nothing. It costs you nothing because Jesus already paid the price. It costs you everything because you're unconditionally surrendering to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I answered that 40 years ago last month. I called upon the name of the Lord. I wasn't even fully convinced. I said, if you are who you say you are, come into my heart. What I was fully convinced is if he was who he said he was, I'd be a fool not to accept his offer. Right? So what's the worst I can do? Look like an idiot talking to air, empty air in space. I wasn't, though. I cried for a half an hour straight. All the crap I had gone through, all the... I was raised on Darwin. I, that was my religion, and it was, I was crying it all out in that moment because Christ came in. I felt that warm blanket of love. It says that we overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony. That was the word of my testimony. I knew that I knew that I knew that after that moment there, I was forever changed. So all the weird stuff, if, it, if some of it's been hard for you, I hope you can understand from my heart. The only reason I know this stuff is I prayed. I felt like David standing before Goliath and seeing nobody standing in the gap to all this UFO ancient alien crap. And I said, Lord, please give me the answers and I'll, I'll follow you. I'll do whatever you tell me. <laughs> he told me so much weird stuff. I even got mad one time and said, I don't want to know this. Everybody's going to think I'm the craziest nut in the world. But you know, God's gentle. He's brought me to a place. I don't care anymore. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of salvation everyone that believes. So anyways, I want to wrap this up. I want to have some question time. Um, I'm going to zip right over to something else here. That was my store in Roswell. It was a fun place. I, on, a janitor's, on a janitor's income, the Lord provided me with a nice little museum. And I had refreshments. You, you're out in the desert with 114 degrees in the summertime. You need to have something to drink. And these are the storyboards and all the things that explained everything. People come in, I just let them look around, and they always had questions, and I always had answers, because the Lord had equipped me very much to give an answer for everything of the hope that's within me. Now he told me, start making everything that you want in a store. He told me that when I moved down to Roswell. I didn't have a chance of way to move down to Roswell. He says, start packing, you're going. I'm thinking, old house, sell maybe in a year or so. Two months later, I'm packing, going to Roswell. I was there for four years. I I've seen so many people get saved, so many people come back to the Lord through that little store, and then all of a sudden, in the midst of all this fruitfulness, the Lord says, start packing, you're going home, because of family. And I thought it was my own personal family, and my kids did have a dilemma, my wife's uh, kid had a dilemma, and we were there to help them. But now, over these years, I come to find out, I'm back here for this family, and I'm going to have another store, and I'm inviting all of you to be a part of it. Because you don't have to know about all this stuff. You know the most important part, and that's who your Savior is. And you've got a testimony. And the people that come here, that's what they need to know. So I'm excited, not just for me, but for all of us, because you guys are going to be a part of it too. So anyways, that is it. Thank you. Oh, I don't know how to end it. <laughs>